Amen. All right, well, we're there in Philippians chapter number one. And of course, on Sunday mornings, we've been going through this uh, sermon series and really a Bible study entitled Rejoice. It's a verse-by-verse study through the book of Philippians. And this book has, I've announced uh, every Sunday morning since we started it, and we'll probably continue to announce till we finish it, this book in this letter, the Apostle Paul is teaching us about joy. And he's teaching us about Jesus, and he's actually teaching us about the joy that can be found in Jesus. We've been taking our time with this book, with this, we really are in the third uh, sermon in this series, and we've been going verse by verse, uh, dissecting every verse and learning what the Apostle Paul has to teach us. Last week, we left off in verse number 18, and that's where we'll pick up this morning. I want you to notice there, Philippians 1, verse 18, Paul says this, What then? Notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. I want you to notice these words, and I therein do rejoice. I want you to notice that the Apostle Paul, up to this point in the letter, has been speaking in past tense and present tense terms. He says, I therein do rejoice, present tense. And then he shifts in verse 18. There's a shift in verse 18 and for the rest of the chapter where he begins to speak in future tense. He says, and he says, yea, and will rejoice. And I want you to notice up to this point, he's been speaking past tense or present. Notice if you go back to Philippians chapter 1 and verse 3, he says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. That's past tense. Notice verse number 5. For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day, that's past tense, until now, present tense. Notice verse 12. But I would, you should understand, brethren, that the things which have happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. When he says the things which have happened unto me, that's past tense. Paul's been speaking about the past. He's been speaking about his present. He's been telling us about the things we learned last week, the things that have happened unto him were for the furtherance of the gospel. But then in verse 18, he shifts. He says at the last uh, part there, verse 18, and I therein do rejoice, present tense, yea, and will rejoice, future tense. Now, what's interesting, and you might say, well, you know, that's, that's just a minor uh, thought there, that he goes from past tense to present tense, or uh, from past tense and present tense to future tense. What's the big deal about him talking about the future? The interesting thing is that the Apostle Paul, as we've been learning, is waiting. He's incarcerated. He's imprisoned. He's in, under house arrest. Uh, and he's waiting to be tried before Caesar. If you remember at the end of the book of Acts, he appealed unto Caesar. He's waiting to be tried before Caesar, and as a result, his future is very uncertain. Paul does not know what's going to happen to him in the future. Notice verse 19 and 20. For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. We'll come back to that verse in a minute. Notice verse 20. According to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body. Notice the uncertainty. At the last part of verse 20, he says, whether it be by life or by death. Paul says, I'm not sure how this is all going to play out. 
I'm not sure if I'm going to be alive or I'm going to be dead. I'm not sure what's going to happen. He says, I know that uh, Christ will be magnified, but it may be by life or by death. Paul's future is very uncertain. Notice, if you would, look at verse number 27, uh, Philippians chapter 1. In verse 27, this very famous verse that we'll uh, break down next week, he says, Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether, notice again, the uncertainty, that whether I come and see you or else be absent. He says, I'm not sure if I'm ever going to see you again. He said, I'm not sure whether my ministry will continue on and my magnifying of Christ will continue. It may be by life or by death. Look at Philippians chapter 2, if you would. Flip over to chapter 2 and verse 17. Philippians 2, 17, he says this, Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith. Paul says, if I'm given as a sacrifice, if my life is, has to be sacrificed as a result of the service that I've done for the faith and for Christ. He says, yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith. Notice what he says, a theme of this book. He says, I joy and rejoice with you all. It's very interesting that the Apostle Paul, while facing uncertainty, while facing an uncertain future, while sitting there writing to the church at Philippians, and he's telling them, I'm not sure how this is going to work out. I'm not sure if I'm ever going to see you again. I want to hear of your affairs, whether in person, whether I come to you, or whether absent, whether in life, or whether in death. He says, if I'm given as a sacrifice, he says, I'm not sure what's going to happen. My future is uncertain, but he says, in, while facing an uncertain future, he says, I joy and rejoice with you all. Amen. Though Paul's future is very uncertain, he still can rejoice. Though his future has a big question mark, he's still full of joy. He's still content. Have you ever felt like your future was uncertain? I mean, I think we should all be able to recently relate to that. I mean, just uh, in 2020... We all experienced this COVID-19 situation where the country got locked down and businesses got locked down and, uh, and, and, and all sorts of things happened. And I think for a lot of people, their future was uncertain. Was, the, was their job going to continue? Was their business going to continue? Were they going to get laid off? How was all of this going to play out? Sometimes we find ourselves, one of the most difficult things that it is to help people with is not really when they're going through a trial. When they're going through a trial, that's a very difficult thing. But sometimes the hardest thing is when they may go through a trial. When they've got an appointment and they're waiting for the results when they're not sure how things are going to work out with their children, when they're not sure if the relationship is going to stay, whether they're not sure if they're going to continue their career, whether they're not sure what's going to happen. See, sometimes the hardest time to rejoice and to be happy in the Lord, to have joy, is when your future is uncertain. But Paul teaches us that you can rejoice while facing an uncertain future. 
He says, I don't know whether it will be life or death. I'm not sure if I will see you, if I will come unto you, or be absent. He says, I'm not sure if I'm going to be sacrificed on the altar of the service of your faith. But he says, here's what I do know. He says, there's lots of things I don't know about my future. But here is something I do know, Paul says, I joy and will rejoice. He says, I can rejoice while facing an uncertain future. And we've got to ask this question of the Apostle Paul. Paul, when facing possible death, Paul, when uncertain of how all this is going to play out, Paul, when you've appealed to the highest court of the land, when you've been done wrong by Festus, you've been done wrong by Felix, you've been done wrong by Agrippa, nothing's really worked out in your favor, Paul, and now you've appealed to Caesar, how can you rejoice? When you're not sure what's going to happen next. I want to answer that question for you this morning. I want to give you three thoughts, three statements. I encourage you to write these down on the back of your course of the week. There's a place for you to write down those things. How could Paul rejoice while facing an uncertain future? How could Paul rejoice while facing possible death? How could Paul rejoice with so many question marks in his future? And Paul kind of breaks this down for us in this letter. Like you notice, first of all, Paul understood that there is more to life than this life. Notice verse 19. He says, for I know. Paul said, there's lots I don't know. Whether in life or death, I'm not sure. Whether uh, I come unto you or uh, be absent, it's really, uh, 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 you can, you know, toss a coin. Uh, whether I'm going to get out of this and see you again or whether I'll never see you again. He said, I don't know what my future holds. But he says, here's what I do know. He says, for I know that this shall turn to my salvation. Now, when Paul said there that this shall turn to my salvation, he's not talking about a spiritual salvation like if you die today, do you know for sure if you die uh, that you're on your way to heaven? Paul was already saved. The idea there when he says salvation, because not every time the Bible uses the word salvation, it's not always talking about heaven or hell, spiritual salvation. The idea is this, that he would be delivered, that he would be saved, that it would all work out. He says, for I know. He says, I don't know how this is going to work out, but here's what I do know, that this shall turn out to my salvation. Now keep your place there in Philippians chapter 1. That's our text for this morning. But go back with me, if you would, to the book of Romans. Romans chapter number 8. You're there in Philippians. You're going to go past the book of Ephesians, past the book of Galatians, past 2nd and 1st Corinthians, into the book of Romans, Romans chapter number 8. Now do me a favor, put a ribbon or a bookmark or something there in Romans, because we're going to leave it and we're going to come back to it. Romans chapter number 8, when Paul says in Philippians 1.19, for I know that this shall turn to my salvation, that is the Philippians version of what we're going to see in Romans chapter number 8. Because in Romans chapter 8, we have this very famous verse, Romans 8.28. It brings a lot of comfort to people when they're not sure what's going to happen and how things are going to work out. And Paul's version of Romans 8.28 in the book of Philippians is Philippians 1.19, when he says, I don't know much, but this I know, that this shall turn to my salvation. What does Paul mean by that? What what does Paul know? Romans 8.28. Here's what he says in Romans. He says, and we know... Paul says, I'm not a psychic. I'm not, I can't predict the future. I'm not a prophet. But here's what I do know. For we know that all things, all things, 
You say, Paul, even bad things? He said, yeah, even bad things. Remember all the bad things that happened unto me? They happened unto me, he says, unto the furtherance of the gospel. He says, for we know that all things work together for good. He didn't say all things were good. He said, uh, uh, you know, some things are good, some things are not good, some things are really bad, actually. But here's what I do know, that God can work all things together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. So Paul, who wrote these words in the book of Romans, for I know that all things work together for good, is now, keep your place in Romans, go back to Philippians, sitting in a prison cell, sitting under house arrest, sitting, we're told by history, chained to a Roman soldier, and he writes the words, hey, I know that this shall turn to my salvation. He says, I know that this is going to work out for my good. He says, I know that I'm going to be delivered from this. I'm going to be saved by this, Paul. And and, and somebody might ask Paul, and they might say, well, what do you mean, Paul? Especially the Philippians, because he's sitting in prison. He says, for I know that this shall turn to my salvation. And the Philippians' mind might go back to when Paul was with them in Philippi. Because if you remember when Paul was in Philippi, we have a very famous story of Paul being put in prison in Philippi. And while he is in prison, he's singing songs and singing hymns unto the Lord. And an earthquake happens, the doors open, and he's free. And of course, he chooses not to set himself free and go free because he saw a soul-winning opportunity. And the Philippian jailer ready to kill himself, uh, Paul yells out and says, do thyself no harm. He said, we're all here. And the Philippian jailer looks at that and trembling, he says, what must I do to be saved? And Paul makes those famous statements, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved in thy house. And the Philippian church reading this letter saying, Paul, are you saying you might get breaked out? You know, is God going to break you out of prison? Is God going to send an angel, an earthquake? You know, what do you mean that uh, this will turn to thy salvation? So Paul preemptively answers their question. Verse 20, he says, According to my earnest expectation and my hope, The Bible here uses the word hope, and I want you to understand, the way the Bible uses the word hope and the way you and I use the word hope are two very different things. When we say, I hope, we're saying it'd be nice if something. We're not confident that it's going to happen, but we hope it will happen. I hope that I win the lottery or whatever. Please don't play the lottery. I hope that, you know, this happens or that. I hope that I get a raise. There's no confidence in hope when you and I say the word hope. When the Bible uses the word hope, it's, it's very confident. In fact, Paul uh, uh, defines it there for us in verse 20. He says, according to my earnest expectation and my hope. See, in the Bible, a hope is an earnest expectation, something that I'm confident will happen, something that I know is going to happen. By the way, that's why the Bible refers to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ as our blessed hope. We're not hoping He's coming. We know He's coming. We're not hoping He's coming. It's our earnest expectation. And Paul here, he says, he says, you want to know while I'm sitting in prison, facing possible death, how I know that this shall turn to my salvation. He says, here's how I know, according to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed. Here's what he's saying. He says, I'm going to win. I'm not going to be embarrassed. I'm not going to be ashamed. I'm not going to be let down. God is not going to let me down. You say, what do you mean, Paul? 
all, he says this, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, he says, whether it be by life or by death. Say, Paul, what, what, what do you mean, Paul? Here's what he's Paul's saying, if I live, I win. If I die, I still win. He said, I'm going to win either way. He said, my earnest expectation, my hope, tells me that I can know. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if I'm going to be released. I don't know if I'm going to be set free. I don't know if I'm going to see you again. I don't know whether in life or death, whether in presence or in absence. He said, I don't know, but here's what I do know. I win either way. Whether in life, whether it be by life or by death. You say, how can you say that, Paul? Here's how he can say it. Verse 21, the very famous verse in Philippians 1.21, he says, For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. He says, he says, Yet what I shall choose, I want not. The word want means to know. Paul says, let me be honest with you. If God said, hey, do you want to just die now or stay here? He says, if I had to choose, I'd say, I don't know. He says, for I am in a strait betwixt two. The word strait means a narrow passage. He says, I'm I'm in this hard decision. I'm uh, 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 between a a rock and a hard place. He says, for I am in a strait betwixt two. He says, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Let me tell you something. Paul really believed in heaven. Now, how can you know Paul believed in heaven? Because while facing, while facing imminent death, he understood that there is more to life than this life. He, he understood that whether absent, he said, whether I come and see you or else be absent, he said, he said, whether in life or in death, he said, I'm not really that worried about it because he says, I win either way. Whether life or death, I win. You say, Paul, how can you say that? He says, because to me, he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I've told you the story before. You've, you've, you've heard me say it if you've been to our church. But it's a great illustration. There's an old story about Jack Hiles and John R. Rice, these famous independent fundamental Baptist preachers of the, of the past. John R. Rice was preaching for Jack Hiles in Hammond, Indiana one time. This was how the story goes. And because of the crowd and so many people there, they came out a back door into an alley behind the church building so that they could kind of just avoid, you know, a thousand people trying to talk to them and, and spending a lot of time and John Rice had to get going and was going to catch a flight and all those things. And they come out of this back door of the church building into this alley. And as soon as they come out, a guy approaches them with a gun. And he puts the gun up to Jack Howes' stomach. And he says, give me all your money or I'll blow your brains out. And John Rice starts laughing out loud. And the guy looks at him and says, what are you laughing about? He said, well, you put your gun to his gut and you said you'll blow his brains out. And the guy looked at him and, and pointed the gun at him. He said, you think I'm joking? And the story goes that John R.I. says, son, you can't scare me with heaven. Amen. And the truth is this, that as a Christian, if you're a saved and if you actually believe in heaven, whether in life or death, we win. You say, how, how could Paul, Paul uh, rejoice 
while facing an uncertain future, Pastor, because I'm not sure how things are going to work out in my marriage, and I'm not sure how things are going to work out with my children. I'm not sure how things are going to work out in my career, and and, and things are changing, technology is changing, and I'm not sure if I'm going to have a job next year. Things are very uncertain, and I'm just not really sure. How could I rejoice while facing an uncertain future? And Paul says, you can rejoice when you understand that there is more to life than this life. Paul said, if they kill me, I win. If I stay here, I win. If I get another job, I win. If I never work again, I win. He says, either way, I win. Because Paul understood this life was just a moment. It appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. See, Paul knows that everything's going to work out because Paul says, even if they kill me, I win. You know what the Bible says? Fear not them which are able to kill the body, but rather kill him that is able, uh, fear him that is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. Look, all man can do is kill me. You understand? The worst thing they could do to you is take your life. You say, well, that sounds pretty bad. Well, if I'm on my way to heaven, if my earnest expectation and my hope is heaven, if I understand like Paul understood that there's more to this life than this life, then I can rejoice in uncertainty. Then I can have joy when I'm not sure how things are going to work out. See, Paul lived his life on earth for heaven. Keep your place there in Philippians. Go with me to the book of Matthew, if you would. First book in the New Testament, Matthew chapter number 6. Paul lived his life on this earth for heaven. Let me ask you a question. I want you to really answer this. Don't answer it out loud and don't raise your hand, all right? I want you to answer this in your mind. Honestly, take a moment, answer this question. How would it change your life? How would it change my life if we lived on earth for heaven? How, how would it change what you did? How you spent your time? Where you spent your money? What you did every day? If you lived on earth as if you were on a journey to heaven. You say, well, I don't know how it would change my life. Well, let me give you just a couple of thoughts that the Bible tells us. If you lived on earth for heaven, if you understood, like the Apostle Paul, that there's more to this life than this life, you would stop trying to accumulate wealth and possessions in this life. Excuse me, it's just the reality. I know that's like the, you know, the worst thing you could preach against to American Christians against covetousness and accumulation of wealth and toys and gadgets. Matthew 6 and verse 19 says this, Matthew 6, 19, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth. Well, wait a minute. He's talking to first century Christians. Of course he's not talking to the prosperous American dream Christianity. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth. You say, why, why would I not lay up for myself treasures on earth? I thought that was the whole point of life. I thought the whole purpose of life was to have as many toys, as many vehicles, as many gadgets, as much clothes, as much wealth as possible. I thought that the person who got to the end of life with most things won. God says, if you're living for this earth, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth. You say, why? Here's why. Where moth and rust doth corrupt, where thieves break through and steal. You know things on this earth don't last? They break down, they rust up, they get corrupted, they even get stolen from you. Jesus says, 
But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, where three thieves do not break through nor steal. Then he says this in verse 21, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Excuse me. If we, if, we, if we did a study of your checking account, if we did a study of your credit card statement, if we took your uh, checkbook, for those of you that are old souls and you still write checks, what would it reveal about your heart? What, because Jesus said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. What would it be real? What would it reveal about who you are and what you live for and what you care about? Because if you lived on earth for heaven, you would stop trying to accumulate as much wealth and possessions as possible. I like the song that says, oh, it is wonderful to be a Christian. I like, I like the third stanza. It says, and the hope of heaven's glories thrill me so. Where I'll live with Christ forevermore, I know. That is why the things of earth I loosely hold. I have eternal riches better far than gold. He said, what, what, what did Paul understand? How could Paul rejoice while facing an uncertain future? Here's what Paul understood, that there's more to life than this life. That the worst thing that could happen to me on this earth is they take my life. Go back to Romans, if you would. Romans chapter 8. You say, Pastor, what, what would happen? What would happen in the life of a Christian if they began to live on earth for heaven? If they began to live on earth, if they began to live on earth like if there actually was a heaven? Well, I tell you one thing that would happen is they would quit, they would quit the race of accumulating as much wealth as possible. Here's another thing that would happen if you lived on earth for heaven. You would stop complaining about the sufferings of this world. Romans 8, are you there? Look at verse 18. Romans 8, 18, for I reckon, for I reckon. The word reckon is an older word. It means to calculate, to, 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 to sit down and look at the, do the math and figure it out. He says, for I reckon that the sufferings of this present time, he says, when I sit down and I do the math, when I sit down and I look at it, uh, 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 the situation, he says, here's what I found out. I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. You know, if you started living for heaven on earth, you would stop complaining about the sufferings of this life. If you sat down and thought about it, you would realize that the sufferings of this present time, they're not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Look at verse 17. You're there in Romans. Go past 1 Corinthians into 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17. 2 Corinthians 4, 17. He says, for our light. 2 Corinthians 4, 17. He says, for our light affliction. Paul here is referring to the afflictions of this world. And before you think, well, Paul's just being condescending to us and Paul doesn't understand what I've gone through and Paul doesn't understand the afflictions of my world. Hey, let me tell you something. I'm not trying to minimize what you've gone through and I don't think the Apostle Paul is either. But before you start, you know, blaming Paul for being insensitive, remember that this is a man who was stoned and left for dead. This is a man who has been beaten with rods. This is a man who's been whipped and scourged. This is a man who's been imprisoned, who's been shipwrecked, who's been backstabbed. I think if anybody really understands an affliction, Paul would be a candidate to say, I know know life is hard, Paul would say. 
But he says, for our light affliction. You say, Paul, how can you call the things we go through in life a light affliction? He says, here's why. Because it is but for a moment. See, Paul said, you know there's more to this life than this life? In fact, do you know that this life is just a fleeting moment, that this life appeared for a little while and then vanishes away? You know that most of our existence will be with God in heaven for all eternity? And he says, when you understand that there's more to life than this life, he says, then you would reckon that the sufferings of this present time, they're not even worthy to be compared. You would reckon that it is our light affliction, which is but for a moment. Let me say this. If you lived on earth for heaven, you would quit accumulating. You would quit this race of accumulating as much wealth as possible. If you lived for heaven, if you lived on earth for heaven, you would quit complaining about the sufferings of this present time. Let me just say this as well. If you lived on earth for heaven, you'd be a soul winner. If our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, Paul would say. Paul said, the things that have happened unto me have happened unto the furtherance of the gospel. If you remember last week, we saw Paul's passion. It was the gospel. It was the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, I am ready to preach the gospel. He says, he says the power of God unto salvation is the gospel. You want to know why you don't show up for soul winning? You want to know why you don't care if people die and go to hell? You know why you can't be bothered to knock on somebody's door that you don't know? And present the gospel to them because you're living for this earth. And if you lived like if there was something after this life, it would change your life. So Paul says, as we ask Paul, go back to Philippians chapter 1. We say, Paul, how can you rejoice while facing so much uncertainty? He says, well, here's what I know. There is more to life than this life. I'm living my life for heaven anyway. I know everything's going to work out because all things work together for good and because even if they kill me, even if they kill me, I win. I said, number one, Paul understood that there is more to life than this life. Here's the second statement. How could Paul rejoice while facing so much uncertainty? How could Paul rejoice while facing an uncertain future? Number one, he understood that there's more to this life than this life. Number two, Paul understood that we should live for something that will outlast this life. So what, what, did Paul, what did Paul understand? Here's what he understood. That there's more to this life than this life. And because there's more to this life than this life, then we should live. We should live. We should give our lives to something that will outlast this life. Look down at verse number 20 again. Philippians 1 verse 20. According to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. Notice verse 21. Here's our statement. This is the title of the sermon this morning. He says, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. This is a very famous verse. Songs have been written about. We sang a song this morning about to live is Christ, to die is gain. Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. You say, what, is, what does Paul mean by that statement? And Go back to 2 Corinthians, if you would. Uh, I meant to tell you to keep your place there. If you didn't keep your place there, just go backwards a little bit to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 4. When Paul says, for me to live is Christ, 
and the die is gain. What does he mean by that? Here's, here's what he means. See, Paul understood that we should live for something that will outlast us. And here's what Paul's saying. You will outlast. Your life will outlast your life when you live for the eternal, not the temporal. Everything on this earth is temporary. It's but for a moment. But when we live for that which is eternal, when we live for that which is eternal, then our life will outlast our life. Our influence will outlast our influence. Our rewards will meet us in heaven. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Second Corinthians 4.17. We saw it already, but I want you to see it again. He says, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment. Notice what he says. Worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen. See, some of you, you're too distracted looking at the things which are seen. The problem with the things that are seen is that they'll decay, they'll get corrupted, they'll break down, they'll go out of style, and they'll get stolen. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Paul says, I've got my eyes on the things, not the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. I've got my eyes on not that which is temporal, but that which is eternal. And Paul says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I don't understand the, I don't understand the statement. See, the statement for me to live is Christ and to die is gain is actually a test. In fact, I want you to take the test this morning. Don't worry, we're not going to grade it. I'm going to make you pass it to your neighbor and they're going to see how dumb you are. But I want you to take the to live is blank and to die is blank test. Because it's really a test. You fill in the blanks. You fill in the blanks and see what your answer comes out to be. See, Paul said, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Good answers. But when you decide, when you decide, sir, when you decide, ma'am, that you're going to fill in those blanks, to live is blank and to die is blank, it'll tell you something about your life. See, when you say, for me to live is money, for me to live is money, here's the desk, and to die is loss. Because you can't take your money with you. You can't take your money with you. It's like the story somebody told about the millionaire who had uh, died and he had left instructions in his will that when he died, he wanted them to bury a hole big enough and deep enough that they could put his uh, nice, you know, luxury vehicle into it. And they wanted him to lay him in that vehicle in the most expensive suit that could be bought with as much jewelry and chains and rings and, 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 and watches as, as could be bought. And they wanted him to lay him there to show all the wealth of his life. And as the workers were doing that when they were done, right before they began to pile in the dirt under him, one of the workers looked at the other worker and said, man, that's living. Some of you will get that next week. <laughs> you know what? You can't take your cars with you. You know, you can't take your nice suits with you. You know, you can't take your jewelry and your stocks and your bonds and your investments with you. See, when you say to live is money, here's the test. When you die, that's loss. For me to live is money. If, if my life is all about money, then when I die, I lost. I can't take it with me. How about this? To live is earthly success. To die is loss. 
If I live to just be the most successful business owner, the most successful politician, the most successful, I want to be the most successful person on my block. I want everybody to revere me and look at how great I am. Hey, if that's the motivating factor of your life, to live is earthly success and to die is loss. What if you said to live is physical pleasure? To live is to give myself to everything that makes me happy, everything that makes me feel good, every drug, every alcohol, every image, every song, every music, just anything. If you said, for me to live is physical pleasure, then to die is lost, because when you die, there's no more physical pleasure. At least not in the old man. See, Paul said, Paul said, I'm living, I'm living for the eternal. I'm living not for that which is temporary because if to live is money, to die is lost. If to live is a success, to die is lost. If to live is pleasure, to die is lost. But when you live for Christ, he says, for me to live is Christ and to die, I take that with me. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Paul understood. Paul said, you know how I can face uncertainty? I can, I, I can face uncertainty. They can kill me, and that's okay, because I have been living for something that will outlast me anyway. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. So take the test. What are you living for? Now, all the ultra-spiritual, I've been living for Christ. Sure you have. Uh, let's, let's ask your wife. Let's ask your husband. Let's ask your kids. See, when you say for me to live is sports, to die is loss. For me to live is the NFL, to die is you're wasting your time. For me to live is whatever, fishing, hunting, hiking, business, success, money, pleasure. Fill in the blank. When you die, the test is when you die. When you live, what you live for, the test is death. For me to live is blank. To die, when we live for that which is temporal, it's lost. But Paul says, for me to live, he said, I didn't have the nicest house. I didn't drive the nicest cars. I didn't have all the success. In fact, the things I did have, he tells us later on in the book of Philippians, I count those things but lost. He says, I count those things but dung. He said, I didn't have all those things, but I did have Christ. For me to live is Christ. And when you can honestly say that, when you can honestly say that Christ is your life, when you can honestly say that you've been living for Christ and not for yourself, for me to live is Christ. And if they kill me, the ultimate test, he says, and to die is gain. See, when you outlast your life, you will outlast your life when you live for that which is eternal and not temporal. Paul understood. He said, how do you outlast your life? He said, you got to live for Christ. He said, well, how do I live for Christ? He says in verse 20, he says, according to my earnest expectation and my hope, Philippians 1, verse 20, according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness as always, so now also. Notice these words. Don't miss these words. He says, Christ shall be magnified in my body. I love those words. You should underline those in your Bible. Christ shall be magnified in my body. See, when you live for that which is eternal, you live for Christ. And when you live for Christ, you magnify Christ. He says, Christ shall be magnified in my body. You know that your life, your body, could be a magnifying glass? What's a magnifying glass? What's the purpose of a magnifying glass? A purpose of a magnifying glass is to take something that is hard to see, that is maybe far away or small and unable to see, 
And a magnifying glass allows us to see it bigger and clearer. Do you understand? You say, I, I want to see that, but I can't see it. Maybe my eyes aren't good, or maybe it's really far. Or maybe, and you take a magnifying glass, and you magnify it. It makes it bigger and clearer. Paul says, Christ shall be magnified in my body. See, your life could be a magnifying glass that makes Christ bigger and clearer for those around you. Let me ask you something. Is your life a magnifying glass for Christ? Is it as a result of your life, your testimony, the way you live your life, the things that come out of your mouth, the things that you say, the things you do, the places you go? As a result of your life, do people see Christ more clearly and bigger? Is your life magnifying Christ or is it magnifying self? See, the Bible says, the Bible says that if we do good works, the Bible says that if we live our lives in a way that is pleasing to the Lord, the Bible says that your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. See, the Bible says that we should live our lives in such a way that our lives are a magnifying glass of the Lord Jesus Christ, that our lives magnify Him. People see Christ more clearly. They see Him bigger. You say, how can I live my life in a way that outlines my life? Here's how. When people don't see you and they see Christ in you. When your life is simply a tool to magnify and bring glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul said, I can rejoice in uncertainty because I understand that there is more to life than this life. Paul said, I can rejoice in uncertainty because I understand that we should live for something that will outlast this life. Let me give you a third statement this morning. Go back to Philippians if you would. Say, Paul, how can you rejoice while facing uncertainty? Paul said, well, here's what I know. There's more to this life than this life. Here's what I know, that we should live for something that will outlast us. And Paul said, here's what I know. Living for others is the only way to outlast your life. I mean, notice what he says. Philippians 1.22. Remember, he just got done telling us, he says, I'm in a straight betwixt two. He said, whether to depart which is, and be with Christ, which is far better. He said, or to stay. He said, I, don't, I want not. He said, I don't know what to do. I, I'd like to be with Jesus, but I understand that there's things that still need to be done on, on earth. He says in verse 22, but if I live in the flesh, he, he says, if I continue in this life, if I continue, if they don't kill me, if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Do you know that there's some things you can do on earth that you can't do in heaven? I mean, we all talk about heaven and how we love heaven. We want to go to heaven, except if somebody puts a gun to your head, then you're like, no, I don't want to go to heaven. <laughs> but we talk about the glories of heaven and the praises in heaven and the beauty of heaven. But you know, there's some things you can't do in heaven that you can do on earth. You know, you can't win a soul in heaven. When you go to heaven, there's no more soul winning. I love soul winning. I'm going to go soul winning heaven. They're all saved. You know, you can't invest in people in heaven. You can't invest in the lives of someone. You say, why? They're all physically dead. They're in their glorified bodies. It's done. See, Paul said, I really want to go to heaven, but I understand that there are some things that I can't do in heaven that I can do on earth. He said, but if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. You know that you cannot, you know that you cannot earn rewards for heaven in heaven? 
Let me tell you something. The Bible says, we've been talking about it, we should live our lives for the judgment seat of Christ. Look, I'm, I'm not trying to hurt your feelings or upset you, but I, if, if, if it takes upsetting you, you can be mad at me. That's okay. I'll still love you. But here's the point. When you, you will be ashamed, you will be ashamed when you go to heaven and all your labor is burnt up at the judgment seat of Christ. So why would that be embarrassing? Here's why that would be embarrassing, because it would show, it would prove that you've been living for yourself. How shameful. How embarrassing when God takes everything I've ever accomplished. He says, we're gonna, if, it, if it's temporal, if it's been selfish, if it's been for you, it's wood, hay, and stubble. If it has eternal value, it's, it's gold and, and, and silver and precious uh, gold. And, and, and he said, we're going to burn it up and see what life. And he catches everything you ever did, everything you ever accomplished, puts it all on fire, and it all burns up. The Bible says that's going to happen to some people. The Bible says that they'll be saved as of by fire. They're still saved. They're still on their way to heaven. But they will be ashamed that they lived their lives for themselves. And Paul said, I want to go to heaven. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. He said, I know that I can still earn rewards. He says, yet what I shall choose I want not, for I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to live with and to be with Christ, which is far better. He says in verse 24, then nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for, don't miss it, you. See, there's one thing that you can do on earth and you can't do in heaven. It is this, invest into the lives of others. Giving the gospel to the lost. Discipling a new believer in Christ. Investing in your children. These are things that you will not be able to do in heaven. In heaven, the race is over. In heaven, the game is done. In heaven, we're done. He says, and having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you all. He's not saying, I know I'm going to abide. What he's saying is, if I abide, I know that it'll be for your furtherance. Do you see that in verse 25? And having this confidence, he said, here's my confidence. Here's what I know. I don't know if I'm going to survive this or not, but here's what I know. If I abide, he says, that I shall abide. He said, if I continue, if they don't kill me, if I abide, if God leaves me here, God will have left me here for one purpose, to continue with you all uh, for your furtherance and joy of faith. He says, if God doesn't kill me, I'm confident that this is the reason why, to help others go further in their faith. Because that's, at the end of the day, that's all that matters. Go to Acts chapter 13, if you would, Acts 13. We're almost done. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Acts chapter 13. In Acts chapter 13, we have this famous testimony of David. Remember David? David killed Goliath. David, the king of Israel. David, the sweet psalmist of the Lord. David did all sorts of things for God, and those are recorded in the Word of God. But it's interesting because when David's people remembered David, do you know how they remembered him? Acts 13, 36. Here's David's descendants talking about David. They said, for David, for David, after he had killed Goliath by the will of God, fell on sleep and was laid unto his fathers and saw corruption. Is that what it says? For David... After he had wrote so many beautiful psalms by the will of God, fell on sleep, and was laid unto his fathers and saw corruption. Is that what it says? 
For David, after he had fought the Lord's battles by the will of God, is that what it says? All those things are good things, but I want you to notice that's not how David's people remember David. You know how they remembered him? For David, after he had served his own generation. After everything David did, you know how he was remembered by those he served? That was somebody that invested in me. That was somebody that lived for more than themselves. That was somebody that lived to help me. For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell on sleep and was laid unto his fathers and saw corruption. I have a leadership class that I teach uh, once a month, and I recently told all the guys in our leadership class, look, when it comes to those that follow us, when it comes to those that we lead, they will not remember what we said. They will not remember what we did, but they will remember how we made them feel. See, David was a great leader because hundreds and thousands of years later, they're saying, that guy served us. That guy helped us. That guy invested in us. See, here's the truth. When you live your life for self, in the end, all you will have left is yourself. We should live. You say, how should I live my life? You know, you should live for the judgment seat of Christ, but here's another here's another thought to help your perspective, you ought to live for your funeral. I mean, I don't know about you, but I don't want to die and, and, and people are like, yeah, I don't know who's going to show up. I'm not sure if anybody's going to show up. None of us are perfect. We all have sin. We're not, we're trying to do our best, but you know, my goal and your goal should be that at the end of our lives, when, when, when they're holding our funeral, when our casket is here with our corpse, that people would come from all over and, and testify and say, there's somebody who invested in me. There's somebody who loved me. There's somebody who prayed for me. There's somebody, it shouldn't say, oh, he had a lot of nice cars. His kids hated him, but he had a lot of nice cars. He was divorced eight times, but he had a nice house. Nobody showed up to the funeral because nobody cares. See, the only way to outlive your life is to invest your life into others. That's the only way. When you're dead, the Bible talks about people dying and their rewards follow them to heaven. How do you do that? By living your life in such a way that when your life is over, your influence continues. See, our job is to invest in others. Go go back to Philippians. We're going to finish up. Let me just read this for you. You go to Philippians. I'll read to you from 2 Timothy 2. We've been looking at this verse lately, 2 Timothy 2.2. And the things, Paul said, that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. The only thing that matters is how you invested into the lives of others. That's it. Let me talk to you, some of you single moms. You're struggling and you're beating yourself up and obviously... We live in a fallen world, and sometimes because of sin and decisions people make, we find ourselves in situations that are not the best situation. And you might be sitting there and beating yourself up and saying, well, I can't provide financially for my kids like someone else can, and I can't do this, and I can't buy them that, and I can't go there, and I can't do that. Let me tell you something. The most important thing you could do in somebody's life is invest in their life. I need to talk to some of you not single moms. Some of you moms and dads, you just have a lot of kids. I know how hard it is to have kids. I've got six of them. We've got six of them. It can be hard. It can be difficult. It can be expensive. 
You might feel like you're failing, and I, I can't live where other people live, and I can't drive what other people drive, and I can't afford those things, and, you know, I just, God's given me all these kids, and that's all that I have to live for. Let me tell you something. That's enough! Amen. That's enough! At the end of the day, no one's going to care where you live. No one's going to care what you drove. No one's going to care what you wore. Word to God at the end of my life, at the end of, of my wife's life, that six children would stand up and say, we didn't live in the nicest neighborhood. I had a dad that loved me. Amen. I had a mom that cared about me. Amen. I had a pastor that gave his life for me. Amen. See, Paul understood, Paul understood that the only way to outlive your life is to invest it in others. Because the truth is this, when you live for yourself, when you live for yourself at the end, when you live for yourself at the end, all you will have left is yourself. And that's a very lonely place to be. Philippians 1.26, we'll finish right here. Notice what he says. Paul. <laughs> Paul, are you crazy? Are you faking it? You're, they might kill you, Paul. What do you mean you're rejoicing? Paul said, well, I can rejoice because I know that there's more to life than this life. I can rejoice because I know that we should live for something that will outlast our life. I can rejoice because I'm not wasted. I'm not wasting my time, my energy, my life living for things that don't matter. I've wasted my life living for people. And I know that that will outlast my life. He said, so if they kill me, I win. And if they don't kill me, I still win. Because I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for your furtherance and joy of faith, verse 26, that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ for me by my coming to you again. Paul said, Paul said if they give me another day to live, you know what I'll do? You say, Paul, what are you going to do? If they give you another day to live, are you going to write a bucket list and talk about all the things you'd like to do? He said, if I get another day to live, I'll invest it in you said, if they let me out of this prison, I know that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ for me by my coming to you again. Let me ask you something. Who are you living for? What are you living for? Sometimes life, sometimes life is uncertain. Sometimes we're not sure how it's going to play out. Sometimes we're not sure. I remember a time in our church's ministry back uh, in 2016 when we had a very uncertain season. We weren't sure where the church was going to land. We, we had to find a building, and we couldn't find a building, and we weren't sure where we were going to go or what we were going to do. We weren't sure if, 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 if things were going to continue. It was a very uncertain time. But, you know, during those times, we can know that there's more to life than buildings. There's more to life than things. There's more to life than this life. And when we know that, we should live for something that will outlast this life. And the only way to do that is to invest in others. So Paul, Paul says, they might kill me. Whether, he says, whether in, in, in presence, he said, whether I come to you or else in absence, he says, whether I shall live or die, he says, I'm not sure what's going to happen, but I know, I know this, that I will rejoice. Paul, how do you know that? Because for, to me, to live, he says, to me, to live, 
is Christ. To die, gain. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this passage in the Apostle Paul. We thank you that while facing uncertainty, while having all sorts of questions, not knowing whether he will survive, not knowing whether he will live, not knowing whether Caesar will take his life. He says, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And when I live for Christ, I can have joy and I can rejoice. Lord, I pray you'd help everyone in this room. I pray, Lord, you'd help us to readjust our lives to focus our lives, to make sure we're not wasting our lives by wasting our lives on that which is temporal, but that we're investing our lives into the lives of others, that we are magnifying Christ with our lives. Help us, Lord, not to fear hell, not to fear the afterlife, not to fear dying because of the fact that we know we have this earnest expectation that heaven is our home, Help us to live for Christ, and when we die, that it would be gain. In the matchless name of Christ, we pray. Amen.